you know, Tony Campolo had the reputation of being a spitter when he preached. He would kind of, and he admitted it. It sort of wasn't something that everybody said about him in a nasty way. He would tell you, he can't help himself. He has spit. So, so he kind of say, I preach and baptize simultaneously. I'm kind of wondering if I got that reputation. Um, but, um, but, but hi, we do seem why to tell you what, why don't, why don't we kind of do, you, I mean, you also look comfortable. I'm kind of thinking, why don't we kind of squash, you know, a little bit. Oh, Josh, I'm feeling the love. Um, but if you want to come on over, if you want to come on in and, and just feel that little bit more cosy, um, quite apart from how it makes you feel, I think it'll do my, my identity some, some good. <laughs> kind of slowly going, oh, bless, bless your heart. Hey, good to be um, together tonight. Thanks for coming out. Um, how are you, hot or cold? Because we can shut that we can shut that door if uh, you would like to keep the if you'd like to keep the heat in. Thanks, thanks, Eloise. And um, wow, we are we are getting into winter, aren't we? Um, but how much more fun when you you come along? We come out on a night like tonight and meet with God, um, trusting that in His in His presence, He is going to. We're going to turn up the heat and, and create a fire in our hearts. Um, and I think that's my prayer tonight. Jesus, we, we thank you. Though it is, it is cold outside, it can be warm inside. Um, and that is, that is even, even true of our spiritual state. Sometimes we can grow a, a little cold towards you. But even as you live within each and every one of us, Father, you, you bring the fire of your Holy Spirit to bear upon our lives. And, uh, and you bring a warmth and a love and a goodness and a light and a righteousness that just makes us alive. It brings us to life. And we want to thank you for that tonight. Now, again, we've got the privilege of opening up this remarkable book we call the Bible and, um, and we're trusting your Holy Spirit to, again, uh, come and speak to each and every one of us. And we want to thank you, believing that you will. We want to thank you in advance that it will be so. And all the Lord's people said, and the relevance of that will become very, very clear to you shortly, believing it to be so. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, I love that. Was that the youngest amen in the room? Hello, Hadassah. <laughs> amen. Indeed. Hey, we were just singing some awesome truth there, I wanted to say, by the way. I love that new, new song. Um, this is how I fight my battles. One of the first verses, I, I thought we might look back, we didn't, but it was, it was talking a little bit about um, uh, the weapons that we have. And uh, 2 Corinthians 10, weapons that are able to demolish strongholds. And 2 Corinthians 6, that weapon is righteousness. And then another verse was talking about um, praise and thanksgiving as part of the battle, or sorry, part of the weaponry that God gives us. That is really awesome truth. Uh, that is a really good song. I pray, trust that that one keeps going around your, around your head as we go throughout the week. That is good stuff to have in your head. We have, um, I mentioned the morning service, we have moved house, um, we think probably, and it is a kind of a bit of an estimate, I, I gauged it up to 
50 occasions, and I reckoned I was only halfway through. So I, so I think uh, just mainly to do with being involved in cross-cultural missions, we've moved around so much. I was only counting those times where we moved house like, and stayed in a place for two weeks or longer. And we, we actually think it, it's possibly in excess of around uh, 100 times. So I kind of, kind of got used to a little bit of the, um, the, the pack up and then the unpack. And, and well, basically in terms of packing up, leaving those absolutely vital things to the last minute. Now, some of them are obvious, like a, a bed to sleep on. You kind of, you need that right up until the last moment. And then um, there's the coffee machine. You need that right up into the last moment. But then there comes this, this nervous this nervous time where all of a sudden you realize it's, it's kind of moving day and you've kind of given yourself a bit of a buffer, but as a step of faith there, you're kind of thinking, wow, you know, um, do I trust we are close enough in terms of moving into the new place? Do I trust we're close enough that I can pack up the coffee machine, that I, can, that I can pack down our bed, that I can disassemble it. Do I think we'll be there tonight? Will we be there tonight? Will I be able to, to kind of get it all set up? Um, moving house, it's a difficult thing to do. And whenever you move house, there is, a, there is a breaking down of things before there is a, a packing up of things as well. When we started out this gospel um, in Mark chapter 1, we read that this gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. So we're expecting every page that we turn, we're going to see good news about Jesus Christ. There's going to be good news here. There's going to be good news here. And as we started out, we started to see that well, part of the good news is that, that Jesus is like no other man. Indeed, he is the son of man, son of God. He is God himself, God incarnate. And we start to learn that because we see that he has authority, great authority. He has, he has authority over the natural realm, the wind and the waves and, 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 and animals and all sorts of things. He, he has authority over illness and sickness. He has authority over the demonic, the supernatural realm. He has great authority. But how is that helpful to us today? Well, God, in this passage that we're looking at today, God is about to move house. There is going to be a packing down and a, and a, and a, and a kind of a packing up and, and turning over of all of the old, and there is going to be a, a brand new house in which God is going to move into. God is about to move house, and he is bringing his authority with him. It's good news. It's more good news. It just keeps getting better and better. So um, if you've got your Bibles uh, with you, whether it's digital and you're flicking through the passage or, or it's, it's, it's a real one, um, Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to, we're going to read from verses 12, um, probably just, just for now, uh, down to 19. 12 down to 19. God is about to move house. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? 
but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. It's kind of an odd story. And you might think, Stuart, how is, how is this a story about God moving house? We'll get there in a moment. But firstly, we've got to tackle the very, very unfortunate tree. If it was a native tree, he could have been in trouble um, with, the, with the local shire. Um, here, is, here is this strange instance in which Jesus, feeling hungry, sees a fig tree. Now, he must, he must have known it's not seasoned. It's not the season for figs, and yet he approaches it, and he looks for fruit. Not surprising, he finds there was nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And so then he says to the tree, you know, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Well, what was going on here? Well, firstly, the, the absence of, of fruit showed or demonstrated that indeed it was, this tree was not in season. It really was, it was just the wrong season. And of course, as you probably guessed, uh, coupled right there with the entrance into the temple in Jerusalem, the fig tree serves as a symbol. And the reality is the fact that the temple is also not in season. The temple is not in season. Now, Jesus had been there previously. We, we read that before. He had gone and he'd had a look around and then he had gone home again. That was sort of the, you know, sort of the, um, the great entry into Jerusalem. And we celebrate that on Palm Sunday and to the triumphant entry. And Jesus came in, he looked around and then he left. And now we know what it was that he saw. And now we know how he felt about what he saw. He was not happy. There was no fruit in the temple. But then again, not surprising because it wasn't the season for fruit. The day of the temple and its importance had now passed. There is actually more symbolism here, not just the fig tree in the temple. Here's some more symbolism for you. Can you imagine, can you picture that scenario in which Jesus, God himself, is standing in the temple, the house of God. God is in the house, as it were. And yet, he says, there is no fruit. The season for the temple is over. The temple, if you like, represented man's attempts to try to find God. Everything about it said that. You had this, and it's, it, we've got a massive complex here. Great excavation works had taken place to just flatten a massive area about 1,000 feet by 1,000 feet. Let's say 300 meters by 300 meters. This is a big area. Beautiful, all covered in imagine white marble. The the sort of the outer perimeter um, had a had a roof um, going around it, a colonnade, and we read about that latest, you know, um, Solomon's colonnade and, and so forth. You had the Gentile courts, that was a very large area, as if to say people from all nations are welcome into my temple. It was a large, large area, the Gentile court. And then you went into the court for the women, and then the court for the priests, and then the holy place, and then the holy of holies, and everything, including the basin, the large, you know, it used to be called the sea. It was so big, a very large bronze basin for cleansing the altar. Everything, everything pointed to the fact that as you come into one outer court and into the next, you are getting closer and closer to God. This is the place that with all of its symbolism and the way that it is set up, 
This is the place that you will find God. The temple represented man's attempt to find God. And there in the midst of it stood Jesus, God himself. Christ represented God's coming to find man. The temple, man's attempt to find God. Jesus Christ, God's attempt to come and find man. There's this remarkable, beautiful symbolism here. And Jesus is essentially saying this is a new season. This is a new season. God is moving house. He is moving out of the temple. He is moving to a new house. And that house is your heart and my heart. God is moving in. God is moving house from the temple to a heart, from a mountain to your, your heart. But but how does he do that? What does that actually look like? Kind of just feels so surreal, doesn't it? To say, well, I can imagine, I can imagine God in a building. Can you really? <laughs> actually, I can't imagine God in a building any more than I can imagine him literally in a heart filled with blood. But, but if we understand that, that God is, is all present and he can be wherever he wants to be, then we understand this, that yes, his presence was at once in the temple, but now he was moving house and he was moving into our hearts. But how is that possible? What does that look like? Let's keep reading. Um, so the disciples had gone out of the city. Now, next day, in the morning, verse 20, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. It will be yours. You see, the withered state of the of the tree showed that anything is possible with faith. Anything is possible with faith. For the disciples, this was a massive obstacle. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to picture the importance of the temple in those days, but, but imagine each of the disciples had grown up being aware of its presence. Um, I don't know what the most elaborate amazing building you've ever seen is, but, but this would trump them all. For those who have um, uh, been with us to a, uh, an Operation Joshua to Greece, often right at the start of the trip as part of the orientation, we'll, we'll take you to the Acropolis, and up there you'll look up on the hill and you'll see the Parthenon. It is a spectacular sight. It is incredible. Do you know what? This temple, Herod's temple, makes the Parthenon look like a garden shed. It was amazing. It was spectacular. It was, it was huge, firstly. It was absolutely, absolutely massive. And it was, was built with pure white stone outside. And as you know, each, each section of it was elevated. So the Holy of Holies was the, the highest part from all around Jerusalem. You could see this. It had massive gold plates on the side of it. And everything else was this pure white marble. 
Imagine when the sun came up shining off these gold plates. The whole thing must have just reflected all around the city. I mean, you just could not miss this. And the disciples had grown up with this their entire life. It was spectacular. Sometimes um, we want to talk about the grandeur of something. Most of you have probably seen, or at least you know of the film, The Titanic, right? And with the Titanic, uh, they went to great lengths to show how just incredible this ship was. It was like no other ship. No expense was spared. It, it was the best of absolutely everything. Polished wood and, and, and brass. And it was, it was amazing and majestic. And that's nothing compared to the temple. I mean, the whole of the city of Jerusalem was so proud of the temple. It just stood there as an icon of their faith. It was central to their faith. So for Jesus to hint that, that there is any relationship between a withered fig tree and the temple, impossible. No, surely not. Impossible. There is no way, there's no way that God would move house. Why would he move house? It's such a lovely one. How is it that God would, what, is he no longer happy? Is he, doesn't he like it anymore? Here's an interesting thought. Herod's temple probably wasn't even as splendid as it was. It probably wasn't as grand even as Solomon's temple. Here's a key difference. Solomon's temple actually had, had all of this. And as you went up into the holy place, and then as you, as you went into the holy of holies, which you or I never could, but that one priest once a year who could go into the Holy of Holies through those beautiful thick curtains, as he could go into them with candles, he would find the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God. Herod's temple, no Ark. It had disappeared by this time. Josephus tells us that as grand as Herod's temple was, there was all of this and, and it was spectacular. But when you got to the Holy of Holies, it was empty. It just had nothing in there. What could they put in there? You see, in a sense, more symbolism. This temple was just an empty, an empty shell. God was not present there. He was moving house. And Jesus was helping the disciples to understand this incredible move of God that it's a whole new season. The old season is over. The old season with all of its cult rituals and so forth, man finding God, that season is over. There is no fruit from that season. This is a new season. God is moving house. He's moving from the temple and he's moving to your heart. And as impossible as that might seem, it is possible by faith. Jesus uses now the fig tree again as a symbol that, hey, anything with God is possible. This withered fig tree that just, just yesterday was, was perfect and had leaves on it is now withered from the root up. God did that. It's miraculous. All things are possible with God. If God can wither a tree, well, actually, frankly, God can move a mountain. They were probably, at that time, we, we don't know, but they were probably on, on the Mount of Olives. That's a big mountain, significant one. You go down through the Kidron Valley and, and there you come up to the temple again. If that is the case, then, then Jesus is saying this mountain that we're on, by faith, you could say 
throw you, this mountain is to be thrown into the sea, and it will be done if you believe that it will be so. But faith that can wither a tree is the same faith that can move a mountain. And if God can move a mountain, then he can also move a heart. Maybe, maybe there are some of you tonight, and actually, you've never really come to that place where you have invited Jesus and you to take up residence in your heart. You're not entirely sure what that looks like. And it's possible that tonight is the night that God wants to say, hey, I do want to live somewhere. <laughs> it's not a temple, trust me. But I do want to take up residence. I want to take up residence in, in your heart. You might not know what that looks like, but I believe that God would say to you tonight, that's okay. What is impossible with man is possible for God. I can do that. I can help you with that. I'd love to do that. I would love to take up residence in your heart. And trust me, I can do it. You simply have to believe. And not just any sort of belief, but belief like you have received it. Belief like you've received it. Again, on a, another occasion, late 2017, we sent a team from our church, actually not on this occasion to a Operation Joshua, but we sent a team from our church to a work party in Greece. Um, Josh was there. We had a good time. We were on a different flight, and probably fortunately, ours nearly crashed. Um, but, but as we were flying into Athens, I was, I was with Jade. I, I think I've told you or some of you this, this story before. Um, there had been a storm that had just come through, and it was so windy coming into Athens. We are on a big plane, 777, massive plane, huge engines. You know, you could, you could walk a giraffe through it. It'd kind of get chewed up and vitamized and spat out the back, but you could do it. You, in theory, you could do it. Massive engine. So a triple seven. We're not talking about a Cessna, but, but as we're coming in, we've got the little screen on the seat in front of us, and, and we're looking at the runway, and, and at first it just looks like a matchstick. You think, yeah, you're going to land this thing on the matchstick, but it gets bigger, and it looks, looks like a, you know, an icy pole stick, and then it gets a bit bigger, and you think, okay, okay, relatively, we're getting smaller and smaller in comparison to the runway. I, I, I think we can do this. And then as we approach, I suddenly noticed that, that we've got the nose pointed way, you know, way, way um, uh, to, the, to the left of the runway because we've got a massive crosswind, and the plane is all over the place. Really, we are being blown around like a little Cessna. And it's not actually, it wasn't just the fact that we were moving this way and then this way, you know, right out of, right out of sync with the runway, but it was the up-down movement that I was sort of thinking, nah, that's interesting. And, you know, we were just going, we're all the way up, and, and then all of a sudden we'd drop down again, and I was thinking, well, what? happens if that happens, you know, just as we're about to touch down. That can't be good, surely. And, and actually, that's exactly what happened. We're just about, we're, he pitches the nose up and we're just about to touch down and this massive wind just blows down on us. Now, I understand that in the cockpit, they ha the pilots are holding at this, at this point an override switch. And if they let go of that at any, any moment, the plane automatically just goes into takeoff mode again, full thrust, trimmed, and, and the plane just takes off. Well, that's exactly what they did. I'd heard about this before, but we'd never experienced it. So we're about to touch down, and then all of a sudden, full thrust, and the plane just takes off again. And I am absolutely convinced. Like, I, I know when we, we took off before, there's this big roar of engines and so forth as you're getting off the tarmac. 
I had never heard such a roar. This was like full throttle. It was massive. And we just took off again. The power in that moment, I'm sure, was far superior to the gentle takeoff that we had, we had had in Dubai, not mentioning the airline. And as we took off, it was, it was sort of this rocky kind of ascent back up out of the clouds. And then when we got on top of the clouds, it was just, I don't know if you've, if you've had to, I think taking a plane, plane flight is like taking a bus from A to B. I mean, but if you've had to do it, maybe you've had one of these moments where it's just so still, you're not even sure that you're moving. You're not even sure that this thing is flying. We got through the clouds, and that's exactly how it was. And it was afternoon. It was this beautiful golden, golden kind of afternoon. And I actually I couldn't help myself. I nudged Jade, and I said, I do believe we did die, and we are now in heaven. And because it just felt like that, it was so surreal. And then finally, up to this point, the captain hadn't come on and said anything. And I was, I was intrigued from a leadership point of view. What are you going to say? And he finally did. And, and he was so professional. It was, it was just perfect. Now, I can't remember it word for word, but I just remember this calm, reassuring voice that just basically came on. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, as you've noticed, we've gone around again. We're going to come in on the northern runway on this occasion and we'll have you on the tarmac in no time and uh, do sorry, or we, we do apologize for this, this slight delay and go around. And it was just something like that. It was just so kind of calm, so good. We'll, but it was the words, we'll have you on the ground in no time. Really what he was doing was speaking words of faith, wasn't he? You know, when, when we left Dubai, you know, we boarded that plane and we were talking about when we are in Athens as if it was already so. We were starting to talk about, because this was a shorter flight, we're starting to talk about, yeah, when we, when we actually get into Athens and we're starting to talk about our ground transportation and all that we had to do and meeting up with the team and so forth. We were talking about it as if it was accomplished. All the pilot was really doing was reminding us of the fact that, you know, when you boarded this flight, when you took this step of faith, when you said, I trust the pilot, I trust the plane, I trust the airline, you're going to get me from A to B, and I can already picture myself in Athens. I can already picture myself having arrived. He was just reassuring us with the, when you, when we'll get you on the ground, when you're on the ground, we'll have you. He was helping us to picture that one more time. And really, I believe that's what Jesus is saying about faith. It is, it is basically saying, I want you to believe you've already received it. You can start talking about this new reality. You can start talking about having arrived at wherever it is that God wants you. You can start talking about the fact that God has taken up residence in your heart. You can talk about the fact that he has moved house now. He's no longer in a temple. He's no longer up in heaven. He actually lives within you. Talk about it as it is a reality that you have received. Received That's faith. Hendrickson says, William Hendrickson says of this, that, that any task in harmony with God's will is possible for those who believe and don't doubt. Jesus is saying here, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. If it is in harmony with God's will, you can do that. You can actually start to, start to trust. Yeah, it's when, when we get to Athens, as if, yep, we're already on the ground. It's a fait accompli. It will happen. It will be so. I believe as if I have already received it. That's faith. 
God has moved house. He has taken up residence in the heart of everyone who has believed or placed their trust in him. It has happened. You have received it. And we are to live lives consistent with that. If God can move a mountain, then he can certainly move a heart. He can move a heart so that it is open and allows him to take up residence in it. And whenever God moves a heart, you can be sure of this. Well, he can surely move a mountain. If he has already moved your heart so that that you have come to that place where you have received him and you believe that it is so, then he can surely move a mountain, right? The heart being the more difficult thing for him to accomplish. So perhaps as Christians, this is a good reminder. He can do that stuff. He can move mountains. He really can. And here is an invitation based on the fact that he has already moved into your life. He has moved house. He's moved in. He has settled. Here is an invitation for us to believe and to trust him. Well, then to move whatever mountains there are that come across our path in the Christian life. He can move a mountain. He can move a heart. If he can move a heart, he can move a mountain. When he moves into our lives... He loves to really move in. He doesn't want there to be a corner or a crevice, any part of our lives in which he does not have free and absolute reign. Only then can he truly be master of the house. And only then can we truly be alive as we were meant to be. And sometimes it feels impossible, like there's a mountain there, to clean up a particular area. It could be, well, it could be hurt. It could be unforgiveness. It could be, it could be sin. It could be, it could be just bad habits. It, it could be so many different things. But, but there can be little obstacles in our life that prevent him from fully moving in. They feel like mountains. But in faith, we can believe that God is fully moved in so that he fills us with the very fullness of God. That's his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 for us, that we would be filled with the full measure of God. Have you ever thought about what the full measure of God looks like? I guess imagine, imagine a glass that you're going to fill with water. What does filled look like? Like, is it that respectable field when you're offering it to a guest that's just a half inch shy of the top because you don't want to, you don't want to baptize them accidentally? Or, or is it right near the top so that you can show off your generosity? Or is that not enough? Is it filled to the, and I don't know if you've ever done this. Kids love to do it. I love to do it. But fill it as full as you possibly can till you get even that kind of that, well, if you look closely, you even get that it's actually, it's actually over the top of the rim, somehow magically not yet spilling over, but filled to its absolute fullness. That's what God wants to do in your life and mine. And then... <laughs> Like a fire hose, he wants to go more, and he kind of says, that's not enough, let's make a mess here. I want you to overflow with me. I want you to overflow with love and goodness and grace. The overflowing life is the only life filled to the full measure of God. 
When he moves in, he seriously wants to move in. He wants to have all of you. He wants to have absolutely every obstacle removed. He doesn't want any mountains, large or small, to remain. Because only then can you experience the life that Paul says to Timothy is is truly life. I wonder tonight if there are any mountains, large or small, that just seem too big. You'd love to surrender all to God. You'd love to give him everything. You would love to say, I'm all yours, God. But what is that thing that is so hard to surrender? It's so hard to give over. And it's become a mountain. It's become an obstacle between you and him. And and whilst that exists, there can be no fullness. It's common, more common than you might think in the Christian life. Of course, part of the battle is simply being able to name the mountain. We love to name mountains, don't we? Anyone here got a mountain named after them? Do you know? Anyone here called Everest? No. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. You look hard enough around the world. I'm sure you'll find a mountain with your name on it. We love to name mountains. What would you name the mountain in your life at the moment that has to be surrendered to God? What name would it have? God can move it. And if you just believe it to be so, believe that he'll take that mountain and just drop it in the ocean and believe it like it is already a done deal, then he will indeed answer that prayer. That's the sort of prayer that he loves to answer. And whilst God uses faith to remove mountains and to remove obstacles, verse 25 tells us that there is such a thing that can be an obstacle to faith. Verse 25 says, and this is where Jesus kind of, this little little section on faith and the nature of faith and how that relates to God moving house. This is where he finishes it off. He says in verse 25, And so when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Unforgiveness can, can just be a barrier to, to faith. If you are finding it hard to believe God for something or trust God for something, I don't know, it could be a good thing to actually ask God, is there any unforgiveness in, in my life in this area? I'd say it's especially true when it comes to, comes to those mountains of relationships or broken relationships. Sometimes unforgiveness can be that thing which is a a barrier to faith, a barrier to whatever it is that is going to bring about healing. Jesus is, is quite firm on this. You hold anything against somebody else, you need to forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins as well. It's a principle. You'll never defy this. In fact, this is the one that you may remember is also very pronounced in the Lord's Prayer. We need to forgive others in order to receive the Father's forgiveness. In fact, this is, this is a remarkable thing. In just about every matter of the Christian life, God says, imitate me. But in this one matter, forgiveness, he says, I'm going to imitate you. 
in this matter of forgiveness, if you have not forgiven somebody else, I will not forgive you. Isn't that remarkable? Now, is that our kind Heavenly Father holding out on us? Or is it simply a spiritual principle that until you release somebody else, you cannot fully experience God's release in your life? It seems to be a binding principle. And it's one here that Jesus says, and this is a faith blocker. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. We are to live by faith. The whole of the Christian life is by faith, but a block to faith is unforgiveness. And Jesus says here very, very clearly, you need to forgive others in order that your Father in heaven will forgive you so that you can practice the sort of faith he requires, faith that can move a mountain. I wonder what your mountain is. We had a time of prayer um, in this morning's service, invited, invited folk to sort of come up the front. It might look a little bit different tonight, but we're a fairly small and intimate, intimate group. And, and I imagine that there is somebody here tonight that would love to pray with you. Um, the walk of faith is not one that we do solo. That thought that jumps into the mind of every single Christian, this is a unique thing that you need to walk alone. <laughs> That's a lie from the father of lies. No, 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 the Christian faith, we're invited into family. The Christian faith is something we do together. And so if there is a mountain in your life and, and you're just thinking, oh, you know what, tonight I, I would love somebody to pray with me and, and to just, just help me believe that God is going to throw this into the sea, believe it like I've already received it, I'm sure there'll be somebody here tonight who would absolutely love to pray with you, would love to do that with you. So please don't leave tonight before you've named your mountain, and please don't leave tonight before you've actually asked somebody, would you, would you pray with me? I've I got to get rid of a mountain. It needs to be dropped into the sea, and I'd, I'd really love somebody to just, just sit with me, encourage me. Pray with me and help me to believe like I've already received. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to, want to thank you for, for this passage tonight. It's, it's very simple in so many ways, and, and yet the complexity of the impl implementation is is beyond us, in our own strength it is. We want to just come before you and, and ask for, for help. We know that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, but that not even by our, of ourselves so that no one can boast. Even the strength to exercise faith, to respond to you as we ought is done through you. So Jesus, we want to thank you for your words tonight and, and thank you for this illustration of the fig tree in a new season, a new season in which you move house, you move in, but when you move in, you really do want to move in. We would love to, to invite you to 
to do just that, removing any obstacles like mountains that might be in the way. And just as we're bowed and and praying, let me share a word that somebody gave to us as a church. This morning, I read it out this morning, and as I read it out tonight too, perhaps this is for you. It's mainly scripture with a, a couple of additions, but this is the word that was given for our church. You are my people, and I am your God. You're remaining faithful to me. So come and celebrate me. I will bless you, my children. I am a just judge and true God. I know the truth, and my truth will set you all free. My love is profound and eternal, and this is my love. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8 in J.P. Phillips. Love is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way to be constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners. Does not pursue selfish advantage. That's not touchy. Does not keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it shares the joy of those who live by the truth. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. Love never fails. I have already made my verdict for this, my church, and it will be proclaimed. Remember, my son died for each one of you to set you free. Now go in his name into the world and be about my business. Luke 10, 1 and 2. Later, the Lord commissioned 70 other disciples and sent them off in twos as advanced parties into every town and place where he intended to go himself. There's a great harvest, he told them, but only a few working in it, which means you must pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out more reapers to bring in the harvest. So go. Preach the good news, heal the sick and the brokenhearted, deliver those with demons and raise the dead, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord Jesus, we want to just thank you for this word. Pray it will be so. Thank you for your reassurances. Thank you especially for the reminder of your love and that we are to overflow with that love. That we are to be a church that is focused on our on a world around us that is, that is hurting. Help us to bring your love to that hurting world. We ask in Jesus' name.